begins at 40. All right, that was uh, th- that was a reference to the fact that this is the 40th episode of The Needle and the Mouse. Congratulations. We did it. It only took, what, four and a half years? No, I think it's only been three. All right, cool. Uh, well, anyway, this is The Needle and the Mouse, along with Lauren Sherman. I'm Dan Fromer, and today we are very lucky to have a special guest in the studio. Studio. At the kitchen table. I think it's our most famous guest ever. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Welcome, Chris Benz. Hi, guys. Hi, thanks for being here. Bright and early. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I know. What time is it? I feel like it's early for New Yorkers on a Saturday. That's true. Um, hi, so, who are you, Chris? What's your deal? <laughs> uh, I Well, I'm now the creative director of um, a brand called Bill Blass, but um, previously have always worked in fashion as a designer. Bill Blass is kind of a reboot that you're running now. What's what's that like? What's it like taking a band a brand with history and maybe some issues? I don't know. I don't even know. Tell me about it <laughs> and and rebooting it in 2015. So Bill Blass is a brand that was started in 1970 by Kel Supreze, Bill Blass, <laughs> uh, who was um, an actual person. Um, all based on American sportswear and color and uh, cool American fashion. And it was built to, I think, a $700 million company by the late 80s. And it had every sorts of branded element. They had a partnership with Lincoln for Bill Blass, Lincoln Continentals. And that's awesome. Is that like the Eddie Bauer Ford Explorer? Yeah, exactly. 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 I think it was sort of the first time that they did it. There was a lot of firsts associated with uh, Bill Bloss. In any case, uh, he sold the company in 1999, died shortly thereafter, and then over the past uh, decade or so, the brand has been through a bunch of different hands, been attempted to, um, been kind of relaunched a bunch of times, and we are launching it yet again. But we're doing away with any of the relaunch rebrand things like that we're just no one really has a sense of what the brand is now so um we're simply launching it to a new generation of of customers and what is it what can we expect um it's women's lots of women's ready to wear uh handbags shoes um fashion jewelry small other goods it's kind of all encompassing um women's fun fashion product I've seen it. It looks really great. And it's launching. We, we're taping this beforehand, obviously. but um, I'm in Japan right now. <laughs> hopefully. Um, hopefully. But it's launching the day that we're going to or air dead. this, which is November 1st, right? That's, That's right. Yeah. Um, the uh, BillBlast.com goes live November 2nd. And what's different um, that we're doing as it pertains to um, uh, sales and um, debuting of product. Traditionally in fashion, uh, many as many people understand, there are fashion weeks and then what's shown and photographed and broadcast from fashion week is then available in the stores four to six months later, which in my opinion seems very old-fashioned and frustrating, certainly as a shopper, but also as someone working in fashion, I get tired of kind of the new collection the day after I see it. So 
Um, when we debut products, for example, on November 2nd, all of that product will be available um, for purchase as well. So we'll never have the delay um, only because we're starting out structuring it that way. From what do you think about that as someone who is it drives it drives me crazy when I go to a runway show or I go to a press preview or something and I actually want to buy something. I personally get annoyed that I can't buy it right then and there. Um, but I'm also obviously have a shopping problem, <laughs> but from as someone who doesn't work in the industry, what do you think about that? that like, even if you went to go, even, have you been to one of the J crew previews with me? Even if you went to that, you wouldn't be able to buy the J crew clothes that were there for six months. How do you, what do you think about that process? That? I mean, we have this problem in tech too. Not as, not as long of a delay, but a lot of times something will be announced and it's not for sale for several weeks or months. Like I've been waiting for that VR headset for how many oh, yeah. years? Dude, I just tried it this week for the first you time. Did. The Oculus. Yeah. Have you tried it out? No. It's it's insane. Well, it's I really crazy. can't wait. It's insane. It's insane. You, <laughs> you feel like they strap this big ass thing to your head. So that's a little uncomfortable. Like the fact that you have like a fairly heavy thing front loaded sure. on your head. But you really like you feel like you're in a different place. Did you order it on Kickstarter, Chris? No, I didn't. Oh, okay. But I I wanted Wasn't it to, on it Kickstarter very... from? Started as a Kickstarter and then Facebook mm-hmm. acquired it pretty quickly. So will the people that ordered it on Kickstarter get get it now? How is that going to I have no work? idea. They may already have it. They may okay. have like a baby version of it. I really actually don't know. I should know the answer to that. Anyway, so a lot of times Apple will say, "Hey, we have this new thing out." It goes on sale today. Sometimes they'll say it goes on sale today. That's true. Which means you can order it today, but I'll go to the Apple store and I'll be like, oh, I want to see this thing. And half the time it's like, no, we don't have it yet. Forget about it. And Um, I just hate that feeling. And that feeling is so much about how fashion is structured and how to retail to people. And fashion weeks in general were never meant for the consumer to have access to those images or anything it was just to show the press and the retailers so that they could you know have enough time to order yeah the product and have it in store in their magazine based on the lead time so um because mr blass historically was very progressive in the way he thought about fashion and design and the business we too are trying to be as progressive and um disruptive in a way um, to fashion, partially because, I mean, I feel like I have no one else to offend anyway in fashion, but, um, <laughs> you know, we're just going directly to the consumer because for the most part, they're the ones that have the highest level of affinity for, um, for Bill Bloss and the, um, logo and everything. I think that's present. smart. Cause that it drives me nuts when something is, you know, three months out or something like that. Although that said, it does create a second or third news cycle for you, for you to be able to say, and now it's here, and now you can buy it. But that's right. And then the I, other... I think that that's, if, if you can get people who are excited to buy it the second that it's shown to them, that's probably ideal. I don't know. And we have all of these channels now that we didn't have five years ago, 10, 20. Um, social media is a perfect example of... Um, really having a dialogue with the consumer where in the past you would have to, as a designer, pack up all of your samples and get on a plane and fly to Dallas and go to someone, you know, some fancy lady's house and she would invite her friends and, 
you know, they would see the clothes and then place their yeah. orders. And there was this very um, kind of uh, arduous process to maintain a dialogue. Now we can really just, you know, instantaneously 24-7 have a relationship with each and every one. How involved were you as the clothes designer with the message, whether it's social media or, you know, offline marketing, whatever you guys are going to be doing? How how closely involved are you? I So I'm... Because you, people should know, you're like fairly active and popular on social media yourself. And yeah. you have been for a long time. I just, it was always like a great resource for me. It was just something like naturally I sort of did, um, you know, for better or worse. But um, in terms of my current position, I'm in charge of all of that. So I oversee design is actually only one part of what I do at Bill Blast. I also... Um, have developed all the packaging from scratch and their new branding and the logo and the cadence of social media um, uh, as it pertains to the release and so on and so forth. So any kind of creative or PR-based um, activation, I sort of... Can we talk about packaging? Sure. Because I've noticed that there's there's like diverging schools of packaging. There's like Amazon, which is like... Uh, Brown pl- cardboard, like no, sh- you know, nothing you need scissors for. You should be able to basically step on it and it'll pop open. Mm-hmm. And now I see a lot of stuff where, you know, obviously Apple kind of started this off, but a lot of consumer brands are now putting a lot of thought and money into their packaging. And I'm mm-hmm. curious, where where do you fit into that? So <clears throat> it's one of the things, I don't know if I mentioned this, but we're launching entirely with e-commerce. We're not selling to any department stores. We're not selling to boutiques. If you want Bill Blass product, similar to House of Cards on Netflix, like you must go to BillBlass.com, same as you must go to Netflix to watch House of Cards. So um, in that way, I can keep a really tight control over this launch and the quality of the product. And then um, a huge part of that with e- e-commerce, like you mentioned, is packaging where <clears throat> it's, you know, you see a very beautiful dress online and you order it. It sort of takes some wind out of the sails when you open the package and it's just like wadded up in a plastic Just a bag. bag like you get a bag or something. Yeah. So it was really important to me to kind of complete the circle of that excitement with really beautiful packaging. So, um, Everything that you order from Bill Blast will come in a gorgeous um, canvas tote bag, and that will be in um, a really pretty colorful box that's magnetized, and you can reuse it, and it flattens, and you can slide it under your bed. There's all these little um, components to the packaging that um, just add and elevate, I think, um, what's great about the product to begin with. Let's definitely put some photos of the packaging on the site because I'm obsessed with the packaging. It's so it's so great. It's really I can you describe kind of what the little t-shirt box looks like? Yeah. Because it's so I it is the kind of packaging. It's like Hermès or Chanel like you want to keep it. It is the kind of thing you'd want to stack them up on your dresser and fill stuff with them. They're it's really really beautiful packaging. Thank you. Um so there's all sorts of different uh, proportions and sizes and shapes of boxes according to what um, goes inside it, of course. Uh, and every box has the same design formula, which is Bill Blass um, in white, lowercase logo, 
um, with white trim, and then each box size is one specific kind of off color. So there's this really beautiful cerulean blue, a tomato red, um, a few different ochre and olive green colors. Um, <clears throat> and then one component of the collection are these uh, burnout vintage t-shirts in all of these um, amazing colors. And each one comes in a little... Um, box kind of like when you go to the department store and buy underwear or something there's like a tiny box but um, one of the things that I loved that we had the opportunity to do with the packaging was use pretty much every logo that Bill Blast has had in the past of which there are many and have all sorts of personalities so we kind of lumped them all together in one and it almost looks like a pharmaceutical uh package in a way or it sort of has a Damien Hurst kind yeah, of quality. It's really cool. So, so I think they're very collectible. So that was And cool. so what yeah. what's the thinking behind going big on packaging? Because is it I'm, is it about having people keep it or is it about them taking photos of the unboxing and posting those to Instagram? I think it's I think it's uh all of those things. I think um giving a lot of little extras and um, supporting the quality and beauty of the actual product is where it's at right now with retail. And, um, you know, I, of course, always feel like we can add more and more and more to the box, like stickers and, um, you know, a spring snake that jumps out when you open the box (laughs) or, um, you know, there's so much humor and kind of irreverence to the brand. We have the opportunity to build on, um, kind of that spirit of the cool packaging. Do you remember when spring snakes were like the funniest thing? Yeah. That was yeah. like the, the epitome of humor. I, I still think, think the it's the funniest is, thing in the world. They I, are funny. <laughs> I haven't seen one in so long. But I think the internet has kind of ruined that. Mm-hmm. Um, now you can see people actually like fall on their face. Or you could just put an actual python in a box and yeah. do That's it for the true. vine. That's true. Um, one thing I think our readers would be interested in talking about. So, Readers, our readers, our listeners. Um, (laughs) I, I'll give my like 20 second review of the collection. The thing that I really liked when, when I saw everything we've talked, we, Chris and I, I've been covering him for covering him as, as a writer (laughs) for a long time. So I've seen kind of the evolution of his design aesthetic and, and what he, he does seem like just a really good fit for this brand because of the fact that you love color and all that stuff. But what I loved about it was the fact that it's a really happy collection. It's not cheesy, but it's, fun. It doesn't feel when you go into a department store right now, especially at the, you know, the price of the clothes is, you know, in the mid range. So it's more expensive than Zara, but it's not, you know, as expensive as a designer ready to wear brand. So, um, I think when you go in right now, everything just feels kind of stressed. There's not a lot of carefree, fun clothes. And, this stuff is really beautiful but and and polished but like a pair of shoes you can buy in a few different colors there's great suiting in bright colors there are fun party dresses um there's a lot of sequins i just thought it was really really fun and felt like chris benz but also felt like if bill blast w- was still working today and doing something modern it felt like it just feels really modern and fun so 
congratulations. I'm sure you're going to sell a lot of it. One thing I think our readers would be interested in, because we do have a lot of male listeners, you can edit that if you would like. Never. Okay. Um, can you talk about like price point and sure. fashion and how that works? Because I think for a lot of people, they don't understand that where, how you price your clothes changes like industry perception. It changes everything. I think that's, that's also changing, but can you just talk about like where the, the clothes will be priced and, and why and all that sure. sort of thing? Uh, so the old formula first, Lauren, thank you so much for a glowing review. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, the way that, uh, brands, traditionally were structured is you would have a very expensive, exclusive kind of limited collection of clothes that was only for the very, very wealthy. And a lot of it could be one of a kind or handmade. And then below that you would have your ready to wear collection that would go to the designer stores and would be also very expensive, but somewhat less expensive than the, um, collection above it and then below that you would have um bill by bill blast and that would be a dumbed down version of the designer collection that would be more accessible and then so on and so forth and they would have underwear and fragrance and it would be this hierarchical um formula for success or kind of a pyramid of sorts uh what we're doing is a philosophically I don't want to do all of those different lines. I just want one great, cool, somewhat accessibly priced collection of pieces across the board. So um, developing, you know, and broadening that um, market worldwide. We're shipping to 68 countries when we launch. So um, having the most amount of people that are interested in fashion have access to it was really, really important without kind of segment segmenting or dumbing down any of the um any of the products from a design standpoint that's cool i think it's super smart and um yeah they they used to call those things diffusion lines that's right because you're diffusing the idea and it is kind of a watered down version of the the ready to wear and and the thing that i'm hearing a lot in the industry is that people the customer is smarter now so the customer doesn't – they want it all to be good. They're not going to buy a dumb dumb version of a more expensive thing. So that – it's really interesting and, and you know, it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch the industry move towards this idea of it doesn't matter what price point it is. It has to have a great point of view. Well, and I think there's a lot of examples of um, brands too that have – slowly adapted to what I see as the future of fashion. There's no more Mark by Mark Jacobs. Yeah. Now there's only one collection. There's, you know, um, for the most part, Prada and Miu Miu are almost the exact same price point um, totally, yeah. now and have two somewhat different personalities, but I think it's almost one collection. Yeah. Um, so it's very difficult for brands with a lot of existing business to make monumental changes obviously in a short period of time or evolve in um at a rapid rate differently than where i have the opportunity with bill blast because we have no business um (laughs) to just start off in the most modern way possible that's exciting 
What do you think about all this, From? And then let's I think talk really about something yeah, else. Wake From or up from? No, I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> I um, I guess the question is like, what's the trickiest part about doing an e-commerce based clothing line? Is it well? What is it? Um, well, I'll give you the the pros and cons. Obviously, the pros are we have infinite flexibility with our um, website, our digital agency, Wonder Sauces. I'm sure going to win a million awards on our e-commerce um, UX. And <laughs> it's like the most dazzling interface. We can like drag and drop and re-merchandise like just as if we were in a store. We're not great. Um, limited to a grid system or anything like that, which is very exciting. Um, but so we have the opportunity to re-merchandise to, um, you know, minute to minute if we so choose, even from our phones um, anywhere we are in the world. We're, like I mentioned, shipping to 68 countries. So um, differently than just opening a store and hoping hoping some people walk by and come in and buy something that happened to be in a certain place at a certain time during work hours, um, we are on continuously all over the world and um, we've really reduced the, the barriers for that. Um, some of the drawbacks to e-commerce logically are that uh, there's no tactile experience with the product unless um, the con- unless the customer buys something and gets it into their house. Um, so that's certainly a barrier, but um, we have free ground shipping and free returns, and it's like um, there's ways to kind of lessen that, um, that impact. Um, and then, you know, in terms of experience, we aren't really we can't like capture any one customer in our world necessarily they have uh, obviously a screen in between us and wherever they are so um uh there's you know but there's lots of drawbacks to every other type of retail platform as well it's just um kind of whatever i feel like is the most advanced and technological seems like the best route because ultimately people will just have their oculus rift on in their bed and we'll just be virtually trying clothes on and um they'll never have to leave their house anyway so (laughs) cool um i'll change topics a little but uh isn't you know we're in new york i was just listening to lauren recently did a story about la as like a fashion boom town i was just listening to a bill simmons podcast where he was talking about la's renaissance in many ways is new york a good place or the best place or the only place to launch a fashion brand today? It's so funny. I think very quickly we've realized that it's um, New York may not still be the epicenter of what is cool and what is cool now is finding the next cool place. Um, New York has been aspirational as a creative hub for so long and For many reasons, none the least of which is um, financial and real estate based. But New York just doesn't seem that cool anymore, unfortunately. It's like, you know, Brooklyn was where all of the cool people went, which is where we're recording this podcast, obviously. Um, And certainly feels like a very white, hot, inspirational place to live and and be based. But... um, 
personally, I dread going into Manhattan every day and I never really see anything inspirational on the street in New York, even the way that I think I did 10 years ago. And um, I would agree with Lauren that the minute I'm on a plane and have the opportunity to change my vis visual landscape um, in terms of design and inspiration and creativity, that's where I kind of have a frenzy to collect visual cues and things um, all over the world. So um, the other thing about it is <clears throat> Bill Blast has always been based in New York and it has very strong ties to New York and Mr. Blast lived in Sutton Place and, uh, you know, there's um, a lot that's really tied here, but I do feel like um, our office could actually be anywhere in the world because we're you know, we are on the internet all day, we're emailing each other, we do sketches, we put things in boxes, someone comes and picks it up and goes, it goes to the factory wherever in the world the factory is. And then the samples come back and we put them in the showroom and make corrections. But it just so happens that those boxes are coming and going from our office in New York, but our office yeah. could easily be in Des Moines, Iowa, or Seattle. Shanghai. Yeah, Shanghai. And I think that is the way the kind of our generation is thinking about the world. And it's also what's inspirational to be about who I foresee our customer to be is someone that's global and mobile and um, and independent and confident in the way that they don't feel like they have to be at any one place yeah. specifically. Um, where's your Apple Watch? I hate it. <laughs> you hate last time, it? Last time I saw you, we were standing around in a circle like dorks. <laughs> no, I know. Playing with our watches. Listen, I have been an early adopter of every new <laughs> Apple product, every, you know, every BlackBerry when we were all, you know, entrenched in um, research in motion. And uh, I just can't get the Apple Watch to meld into my life i can't i it's i think they i think it may have been released too soon i can't put my finger on it exactly but for those apple employees um who are listening i am sure you know what i'm talking about i just can't <laughs> why do i need to see it on my wrist if i always have my phone right next to me and it operates off of my phone are you a big watch wearer in general? No. Okay. Because, well, you're wearing one, a very I nice only one have, today. I only have okay. this, which is like my life's work, but. It's very beautiful. Thank you. Um, Should I, I have a watch like that? Well, that's the thing. The, here's the issue. So I have to admit, I kind of want the Hermes one really badly. I'm not going to get it because it seems crazy, but I'm starting to really want it. I really like the watch. I've never been a watch wearer. And the thing is. I see. The reason I. I'm attracted to the Hermeses. I've always loved the Hermes. Hermeses, women's watch business, the watch business is 80% women's, which is so interesting. Um, I'm working on a story about, hopefully, it will, I think it'll be out already by the time this story, this um, podcast comes out, so I can talk about it, but it's about the women's watch business growing a lot, so I think that was a big reason for Hermes to, um, to partner with Apple and Apple to partner with Hermes because they already have a great women's watch business. Sure. And for me, 
the appeal of having something that looks like an Hermes watch but does all the stuff that the Apple Watch does is is really good. I think that if you are a watch wearer, it's hard to I've seen we, I, we I'm sure I mean this is our Apple Watch segment. Should we just have an Apple Watch segment in every episode? Okay. Dan is nodding. Um but I think that I've seen guys wearing like their Apple Watch on one wrist and their normal watch on the other yes, and that's, that's what just, I did. But like did you feel ridiculous doing that in a way or Yes, no? and I hated that I had to take my Apple Watch off every day and charge it. Yeah. I was it was just like one more thing that I had to wedge into my already busy and seemingly or like aspirationally efficient schedule and it felt like it was in the way of I don't know it felt cumbersome to me that's really good feedback for them I think what do you how do you feel about it from are you still I'm still really into mine but I feel like most people I've talked to feel the same way Chris does I feel weird when it's not on my arm but I think that would be the same for any watch that's right it's also um, probably the same way that people, like girls, feel weird when they don't have their Celine crossbody bag yes. with them. I would say this, the stuff that I have, the stuff that I use it for, I use it for every day and now don't want to be without that. And those are, this is lame, but the time, the temperature, all the time, mm-hmm. especially we live, in, the a, hour, we live in a place where, yep, that's right, traffic and weather together. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fitness stuff. I've now tracked workouts for almost six months every day. The idea of losing that data would just feel really but disappointing. But where do you keep your phone during all of this? On the machine or in my pocket. I, and I have the 6 Plus, so I have a big phone. To, I wear too. my phone on the, my arm when I go running. But I have the 6. I don't have the 6 Plus. I'll tell you this. <clears throat> when I can untether the functionality of the Apple Watch from my phone... Mm-hmm. And completely leave my phone at the office or at home and have the watch work independent. Have those two devices work independent of each other. I will be 100% back on the Apple Watch. I think that's probably two or three years away. The other things are sports scores. I use it for almost every day. Um, I've been missing out on that. (laughs) I know. Also, I mean, I I am a little – I guess you are – Kind of into sports. Cubs play almost every day and you're are now not, in the playoffs. Yeah, you're so, not, you're oh, well, they may still be in the playoffs by the time we tape this. Unclear. I'm just thankful you're not so much into sports that it. I notice it. That's all I have to say. How romantic. Great. Anyway, <laughs> but that's about it. Oh, I also use the heart rate monitor and I pause and like fast forward through podcast commercials. <laughs> I, I use it a lot for fitness. I use it as and a timer when I'm doing leg lifts and stuff like that. I use it the time like when I'm making uh, rice or quinoa. Oh, I right. use it for mm-hmm. laundry. When you're chopping timer. your kale, you don't want to over chop. Right. It <laughs> actually has a, a tool that makes sure that you're not putting too much force down with the knife on the kale. So it massages it properly with the edge of the – actually, that would be a, an app that I think would be a funny joke app. Kale chopping uh, – Timer. Uh, yeah, something like that. Um, Calisthenics, but uh, that's a, but the things that I use it for have not changed much in six months. So 
that's what I'm a little concerned about is that there really doesn't seem to have been that much progress. And there's a new version of the operating system. They're supposed to be able to make people can make games now, more sophisticated apps. I either have not seen any that look cool or have not like spent time looking for them. So I don't know what that means, but I will buy the next version of it, which I assume is going to be a little better, but not like it's not yet what you describe, which is like a a watch independent of the, the phone that's right and Which in the I, meantime, it's going to happen but it's, i think it's going to take a little longer for battery purposes and you know mostly that in the meantime i'm thrilled with my six plus which i recently upgraded to and i mean did you get the the rose gold no just space i know gray. someone who really I'm likes team the space rose gray gold. team space gray mm-hmm. do you have space gray also i have me? the rose gold uh that apple loaned me I can bring it out in a second. I feel like the rose gold is actually, I bet more men are going to buy it because it's pink. It's not rose gold. It's pink. And I feel like it's this bro-y thing to buy the pink. It's yeah, very interesting. Brose. brose, is that what they're calling it? <laughs> so, Chris, I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, we want to talk about Brooklyn because how long have you been living here for? About a year? Uh, almost two years. So, mm-hmm. in... Here, what? It looks like Chris's old hair. I love it. Oh, it I does. actually do love the rose gold. It is pretty. But it's too much of a commitment to me. Plus, you must, must have a case on the um, the sixes. And, I mean, this, who cares what color it is? is less slippery. Oh, it is? But yeah. the camera lens is still debossed, right? Yeah. Um. So I want to talk about Brooklyn, but before we talk about Brooklyn, so we had a question from one of our listeners a couple of episodes ago, and we tried to answer it, but we were also kind of needed it answered. We didn't really have the answer for him, and it's about sheets. So, like, what are some good sheets? What is good bedding? Mm-hmm. Where should you go for bedding? Should you just buy crap? At, uh, when I was growing up, we would just buy, we would go to TJ Maxx and buy the like branded, the licensed stuff. So the Ralph Lauren sheets from TJ Maxx or Marshalls or whatever. But I think everyone had those Ralph Lauren <laughs> sheets with the like cabbage roses on the yes. sage back, Not sage green background. Yes. So <laughs> where, because, so one, another thing about Chris is that he is, you know, could be an interior designer. You have a really good sense. You have your house always looks amazing. Thank you. You have, you collect a lot of vintage and antique pieces, right? And, um, shout out to eBay, eBay, eBay lover. Um, but so I'm curious what kind of sheets you use and, and it for, you know, I'd say our reader is a 28 to 34 year old, male who lives on the west coast mostly we also have some ladies out there shout out to them but um for guys that age who maybe have a girlfriend living with them or a wife but maybe are single what are some good sheet options that so you're comfortable and they're like worth the money and all that stuff so i never cared one bit about sheets and i mean I think most people sort of don't give a shit. They're just like, mm, this Ikea sheet is like pretty, but then you end up like suffocating because <laughs> they don't breathe or, yeah. you know, it's about like making our lives as comfortable and carefree as possible at the end of the day. So, um, uh, I was once in Paris, pause for laughs, <clears throat> staying at, uh, Azadine Alaya, who's a designer, Azadine Alaya's, um, apartment. And in their guest rooms, they have like, 
scratchy, sandpaper, starched Belgian linen, white, crisp sheets. And I'd never really slept, I realized, on linen as a quality or material for sheets, but it is like heavenly. And even those starchy sheets, you were like, it was, you know, cool if it was um, hot out and vice versa. And it just, you know, it was the best. So I now am all about linen sheets. Um, I've been recently getting them from Restoration Hardware. Um, when I get my pumpkin spice lattes, then I go to Restoration Hardware. <laughs> we should give Chris one of our pumpkin spice latte sleeves. Oh, yeah. As I need a that. present. Um, and they have fabulous, like, washed. Oh, this is amazing. I've just been handed a knit pumpkin spice latte sleeve. <gasps> Team PSL. It's that all is yours. so funny. There's, like, something about Bill Blast where we were like, <laughs> we didn't really talk about it, but. All of the products are not basics at all. We don't want to make black cashmere sweaters or navy blue cardigans. Like everything is kind of punchy. So, um, so much of what we always talked about or like our sounding board was uh, that something was like far from basic. We're actually, mm-hmm. it's part of like the Google messaging for our ad campaign and stuff is oh, that's things cool. that are far from basic. But like, Part of being far from basic is being as basic as possible. <laughs> I <laughs> so, love it. Um, you know, we go really cerebral in fashion, as you know. Um, anyway, back to sheets. I love linen. Go to Restoration Hardware. I feel like that's the best. They have all different feels, washed, garment dyed, you know, pressed, satin stitched, all sorts of linen sheets. But... I think it's on page 784 of their catalog. Yeah, of the fourth volume yeah, of the you have to fall. Get those. Yes, exactly. There is another line. I don't, it's Belgian. It's probably the same sheets being sold at Restoration Hardware. It's called Libeco, I think. It's L I B E C O. And they sell it on a lot of the fashion y, design y websites that I go on every day and stare at. Um, and it looks really nice and it's not crazy expensive either. Um, if you, you know, want to check that out as well. But I think we are definitely going to go to restoration hardware today and buy some sheets. Also, I just like brushed up against the microphone. Do you think that we're going to hear it? It's going to be like my skin brushing up against the microphone. I was going to edit it out, but now I'm leaving it in. Okay. Also, listen, you know that there's a restoration hardware outlet um, in Queens Mm -hmm. on, yeah. In Flushing. It's right by our, where they do the U.S. Open. Oh, oh cool. we can go get some uh, Szechuan food after that. Yeah, That's exactly let's right. do it. It's right on College Point Boulevard, basically. Oh, that sounds Okay, nice. car guy. I'll give you yeah, a tip. Yeah, this is yeah. why you have to have a car. <laughs> um, another tip about sheets, which you can take advantage of um, on the deep, deep discount sale and clearance section of Restoration Hardware or at the outlet is... You shouldn't be strapped about matching all the pillowcases and sheets and, you know, top sheet, bottom sheet, all of that. I think you can mix and match all colors and um, and it sort of doesn't matter as long as it's kind of in the same feeling. I like that philosophy a lot. I also wonder, what do you guys think of, of a top sheet? Like, we really try to have a top sheet, but I feel like it ends up... It ends up pulling at the bottom of the bed, and then we just get rid of it. We, like, put it in the laundry. I hate them. I've never had one. I had a very Eastern European 
slash regular European uh, blanket life, which was a duvet, and that's it. No sheets. Who cares about a top sheet? Yeah. I mean, I hate them. I'm very waspy, so I must have as many sheets as possible <laughs> on the bed. Um, with like a hospital corner and like hard, tight tuck on the bottom. That's amazing. Um, but where do your feet go? I don't know. I take them off before I get into bed. Okay. Um, what I will say about that is at the Maurice, one of the most glorious hotels in the world, they do not have top sheets on the bed and they change the duvet cover every day. The maids change the duvet oh, cover. Oh, fascinating. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. Someday. So, yeah, right. so Chris, you have a car. I you've do been, have a car. You've been living, so you've been in New York for what? Over 10 years, right? Because you went to school here as 16 well. 16 years. Wow. Yep. So you lived in in Manhattan for the first, what, Probably, 14 or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 13. So wh- how has the, and you have a, a really cool house that you're working at, renovating. Mm-hmm. Still like kind of dumpy right now, but. It, it, <laughs> it was, I saw it. Probably a year ago, and it was still... I My was, ready date is so cool. 2025, <laughs> January 1st, 2025. So how has the transition to Brooklyn been for someone who was... I, and the interesting thing about, I feel like Dan and I, a lot of our friends who work in media live in Brooklyn, but fashion people tend to live in Manhattan or or did for a long time. What? How has your transition been to Brooklyn? Do you like living here? You have... Did you get a car after you moved to Brooklyn? Like I got a stuff. car when I realized we were moving to Brooklyn. Okay. So <clears throat> that was one of the prerequisites. Plus, I love driving, and I love the L.A. lifestyle. So I'm trying to live my L.A. lifestyle in New York so that I, you know, everywhere is at yeah. least like a half an hour away. Um, <laughs> I loved living in Manhattan. It just became, like, very expensive and... Um, kind of sort of arduous to me. We had a gorgeous apartment on um, 15th Street in Chelsea that was the parlor floor. And we always hung out on the stoop. And, um, you know, it was a very convenient lifestyle because, as many of you know, in Manhattan, you can, you know, if you want a piece of, like, you know, pumpkin pie at 2 in the morning, like, there's a place probably within, you know, like, two blocks that can either bring it to you or make it for you. So um, there's a great convenience factor, but it was also very annoying. So I felt like I was never at home because of that. There's no separation between work, social life. It's just, you know, those who can do it and excel at it. And um, it's kind of all encompassing. And then I just sort of got tired of not feeling like I was at I don't know, separated or at home in any way. Plus people could just walk by our house and be like, Chris. And then I'd be like, if the lights were on, how do you like ignore the buzzer? (laughs) Because they could just lean over and look directly into your apartment. So I was um, excited about that. And also the space issue, obviously most people who um, are in my position and work in fashion are just collectors in general. So um, I started to feel like I was sort of living in a flea market. And um, and so it was exciting to have the opportunity to make it seem as though I didn't have that much stuff by kind of dispersing it yeah. all around uh, like an old house. So um, the thing that I do love about Brooklyn is that everyone 
for the most part, that has moved here really subscribes to the um, all of the like fabricated philosophies of what it means to live in Brooklyn. And I think there's something quite special about living here in 2015 that will be looked back on, I think, in the same way that people talk about living in San Francisco in the... 60s or 70s where um I don't know I just don't feel like any of the time that I spent in Manhattan will be reflected on 50 years from now in that kind of um, sentimental or nostalgic way but I do feel I mean I'm already nostalgic for Brooklyn two years ago so um I think it will just become even more like that and there's really something refreshing about every at every turn and every decision that I think people make in Brooklyn, be it what they're eating or what products they're using or what they're wearing or what car they have, everything is with, it's like the fullest fetishized extent of like organic, artisanal. And of course it's fraught with plenty of humor and, um, and sarcasm as well. But um, I think that there's something really cool to experience kind of that one note of um, aesthetics, really. Yeah, I feel like as ridiculous as it is, I love it so much. Yeah. It's just, it's it's a great place to live. I also think one thing that I never, as someone who grew up wanting to move to New York City since they were, you know, 10 or whatever, when I moved here, I lived in Washington Heights, which is a pretty quiet neighborhood, but there is something different about Brooklyn in particular. You do get, there is quiet. That's different from anywhere in Manhattan. And there's also just more space to walk on the sidewalk and things like that. And I remember I moved to Brooklyn. I've been here for 10 years. I moved there here nine years ago. Um, I've been in New York for 10 years. And I just remember getting off the subway at in Carroll Gardens where I moved to and thinking, oh, this is a neighborhood that you can live in. And I think there is a sense of um, New York being really transient. And when you're, even if you're settled in your apartment, you're kind of in the middle of everything. Whereas in Brooklyn, you do have that chance to kind of step away and have your place. A sense it's also why I think now when you, have to go into Manhattan, you cannot wait to like get out as soon as possible. (laughs) Yeah. I schedule all of my meetings on three days just because I don't want to deal with going in and out. And it's not any further than if I lived on the Upper East Side or Upper West Side, but I'm like, I need to do them all. So I don't need to go in. So going in, you belly of the beast. Yeah, exactly. What do you think about this film? I agree with everything you said. Thank you. I have nothing unique to add. Well, w- this is probably one of our longest episodes. It's been about 45 minutes. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think we did a good job. And um, it was really nice to have you here. I love when we have someone interesting in the I'll see you next Saturday table. for volume two. Of yeah, our right. <laughs> <laughs> Needle in the mouse, Chris Benz. Um, so where can people find the new stuff? So... Um, this is actually 
Um, cool. It's BillBlast.com. So, you know, right. I went really far to get a web address. <laughs> Who owned uh, BillBlast.com? Um, we, the, the parent company always Some owned, kid so. in uh, Oklahoma. No, no. but um, someone did own ChrisBenz.com for a long time. What? Mm-hmm. Was mm-hmm. that like a sketchy a, a person? No. Oh, like okay. Do you have it now? Mm-hmm, I oh, have okay. it now. Oh, that's cool. Good. And you're um, on uh, the internet. What's your like Twitter, Instagram stuff? It's at CM Benz across all platforms because someone Boom. did have at Chris Benz, so don't follow them. Forget that. <laughs> I tweeted at someone that was at Theory because I did a piece on the Theory creative director, and they got so mad at me because Theory has Theory underscore. Ugh, isn't and that I, so I just—it's some random guy. And it's just like give it to the brand. Give it. Just give it to them. Why? Why do you need and it? And I didn't even edit the because I was just like everyone knew what I was talking about. It just he has like a thousand followers. They're all because they think it's theory of the brand. Yeah. Do you remember when Netflix tried to become Quickster and some like pothead guy had Quickster and was just being a total jackass? On no, Twitter? I don't remember. I remember the like first part, but not the second ago. part. It was pretty awesome. Chris, thanks for being here. It was oh really gosh, fun. Thank you guys. so much. It was really great. Um, and as as always, you can send us questions for future shows at hello at theneedleandthemouse.com or find us on Twitter at Needle and Mouse. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes or SoundCloud. Please leave us a review to drown out the existing ones. We'll talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about that. Well... Never mind. Never mind. Uh, Anyway, oh, and our theme music is by Alan Lawrence. Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. And we'll catch you soon. Bye. Bye.